Hello, and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Vry, an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. Uh, you can find my work by going to my pinned uh, tweet on Twitter, at Writer Vry, or you can find the other podcast I co-host, at TrashPod. And with me today are two other Anifem staff members, Dee and Caitlin. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Um, I'm a writer and editor for Anime Feminist, as well as uh, a reviewer for The Daily Dot. And my own blog, I Have a Heroin Problem, which is coming up on a year without an update. I was going to throw in a little sad trombone, but I don't I don't have a Foley sound effect board. I really should get one. So we, I can throw in a little womp womp. Well, uh, and I'm Dee. I'm the managing editor at, Annie, at Anime Feminist. Uh, I also run the anime blog, The Jose Next Door. And you can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. And this is the second outing of our manga cast. Uh, the last one you may recall we did around Halloween, and folks seem to really like it, so we're taking a second shot at it. Our plan, kind of loosely, is to structure these because there's so much manga in the world. So our plan is to kind of loosely structure these around a basic theme and then cluster together maybe eight or ten titles that we can talk about in brief. And It's a variety hour. Yeah, exactly. It's as though D cleverly named it and I stomped all over it. So as always in the second time that we've done this, we open these with the manga fast pitch, which is where we kind of give you a brief snapshot, four to five minutes to kind of warm you up and get into things, where somebody brings in a title that they want you to know about real quick. And in this case, Caitlin, you're on deck. Zoom! Pow. We make our own Pow. sound effects Bam. here. Boom. All right. Well, now I you caught me not paying attention until you said my name, and now I feel like a real jackass, <laughs> which is good, because the manga I'm here to tell you about is Jackass. Um, jackass is a BL series, or not series, a BL uh, one-shot manga by Scarlett Berico, the first of hers to come to the U.S., Hey, did we specify in the intro that we're doing that our theme of this manga variety no, hour is one shots? Oh god, no, <laughs> I just said that there were themes. We just mentioned that each episode is themed. Try to figure out what the theme is. <laughs> it's um, a game. <laughs> it's a game now. Oh lord. Okay, <laughs> folks at home. Um we're, we clearly have our shit together on this podcast, and uh, our theme this, this time around is one-shot wonders, which means we're doing uh, one-shot volumes of manga for you folks I feel home. I feel like Griffin McElroy in those episodes where he's just sitting there going, like, yeah, this, this intro is terrible. <laughs> we did it bad this time, guys. <laughs> and, then, and then we promise to cut it out, and we don't we actually do cut it out. This will be reproduced in full. <laughs> yes, naturally. <laughs> okay. I say as I rapidly start typing author and publisher information into the chat. Well, it's good that we all feel like jackasses now. <laughs> <laughs> We've still got our segue. So. I do. <laughs> so yes, Jackass is a one sh a one shot by Scarlet Berico. The manga features uh, Keisuke Hara, who is a hardworking young man whose parents aren't around. Uh, so living with his older sister and his childhood friend, Masayuki Shinoda, who is a wealthy young womanizer. One day, Keisuke accidentally puts on his sister's tights uh, because of um, plot reasons, <laughs> forced plot reasons, let's be real, and discovers that Masayuki has a major fetish for nice legs wearing stockings. Then things kind of go wild from there. Uh, Masayuki claims that he really only wants to get a chance to uh, love up on Keisuke's legs, but then Keisuke starts realizing he has troublesome feelings, helped along by his uh, gay friend. Uh, it is, overall, a really sweet BL title. It, it's not just that sweet, it's that combination of sweet and sexy that can be really hard to achieve like I love a lot of BL titles that are really sweet but they're the sweet ones tend to be less uh, graphic uh, jackass is pretty graphic <laughs> it's got it's got dicks not cones <laughs> of light real dicks not cones well they have like little teeny tiny skinny bars oh, over like, I love the dick bar over them but you can <laughs> 
you can see pretty much everything. But that's not, I'm not reading it just for the dicks. Um, uh, Keisuke uh, and Masayuki are sort of that standard, like, I never knew I was gay until this happened. Uh, but it's not, a, there's not a whole ton of angst about it. Um, and Masayuki's mostly just like, yeah, I just, I just like nice legs. Um, it is, there is, there is some like question marks about consent, but there is no like, I'm going to force you myself on you and then you're going to like it. It's more like, uh, walking up to your friend and then like jacking him off with your foot and he's just like, oh, this is happening. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not doing a really good job selling this. I, I, th I, I feel like I get what you mean, though. Like, I've heard good things about <laughs> Jackass before in terms of, like, let's be real, BL is graded on a curve, unfortunately. Yes. So there's a lot yes. of, like, if it's one of those, oh, in the heat of the moment, but really they were into it, as opposed to holding someone down while they go, no, 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 but then re reconsider it later, which happens way too much. Yes, that is that is really um, mostly what it comes down to is like there's not necessarily explicit consent all the time, but um, everyone is generally having a good time. Everyone's having fun. There is an actual out gay character on the back cover. He is wearing a shirt that says "I have a big dick." Nice. That that uh, communicates a lot about who he is as a character. Um, unfortunately, he is also in the dreaded teacher-student romance. When will we be free? Oh, I know. They're not the main characters, at least. Are they in college, at least? Is it, like, just unethical? High school, no! High school seniors. Oh, okay, well. Womp. Damn. They are high school seniors uh, who are on track to graduate and uh, go to college. Dialogue is really snappy. The characters are a lot of fun and a lot of time fun to spend time with. The art is beautiful. No yaoi hands here. Everyone's proportionate. A miracle. And it's um, a very, like, a sweet, fun time. And it's great for people who want to read about boys kissing boys and then also boys having sex with boys um, who don't want to deal with a lot of the, like, typical yaoi bullshit. Yeah, no, jackass. Go for it. Uh, if you have any interest in reading about consensual gay sex. And Case Kate's legs really are very nice. Masayuki is a smart man. <laughs> is it one that actually has a physical release? Because I feel like a lot of BL either does like very small made-to-order print runs or it's entirely digital these days. Oh, yeah. No, I was right. Uh, it was. It is Viz's Sublime line. Um, so it is a really, really nice, uh, it's a nice volume, um, about standard quality for what Viz puts out. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's still available. Uh, it's, uh, garnered a lot of positive press. So if you're, if you're looking for pornier BL and don't want to wind up snack dab in the middle of a rape scene, it seems like a good one for you. But I think it is time for us to dance from uh, stockings and high heels on into the Two to Mango segment, which is where two of the people on the podcast have read a series and they do a quick deep dive on it. In this case, we went with Claudine by Ryoko Ikeda, who is more famous for Rose of Versailles, which we will definitely see in print someday. For real. Thanks, Udon. Wink. <laughs> uh, thankfully, in the meantime, this uh, sort of short story was released by uh, Seven Seas, who does a really nice job with releases and in picking up diverse titles. Um, thank God. Uh, this was released in 1978, and it gives me feelings. I was, because I, I read it purely for historical reasons. Uh, this is the story of Claude. Um, Claudine is his given name at birth, um, who is, uh, he's an AFAB trans man, and it's sort of the story of his life as related by a psychologist. And of course, it's tragic because it's the 70s. So I initially read it for, you know, historical completionist reasons, because I can count the number of trans men in manga on one hand, and was surprised by how much I really, really liked it. Um, it, it, it displays a respectfulness for Claude's character that I am hard up to find even in a lot of present day manga. It does end in suicide, though. Like, just as a heads up, 
that's one of those things that I don't tend to consider. Oh, this needs a spoiler warning. It's just a straight up content warning. This is and uh, how tragic is it that that the world could not accept this person just trying to live his life kind of story. Yeah, I I am like the art is gorgeous. It's Ikeda, one of the magnificent 49ers. And it's got an incredible amount of pathos. There is, I, I think I screenshotted it on my Twitter and I'll try to find it and link it maybe when the transcript for this comes out um where there's a page out and out saying you know you know you are you are clearly a man born in the wrong body and again manga is much more likely to lean on the narrative that these are tomboyish women or that they will kind of come out and realize that they had secret feminine or motherly instincts all along so it kind of hit me right in the feels in a way i wasn't expecting yeah so that's that's where i'm at with that it was real good. I might have teared up a little bit. Yeah, I did too. The early parts are have very much the the kind of melodramatic vibe to them that a lot of I've I've I'm somewhat familiar with Ikeda's work mostly through anime, um, because you know nothing of hers has been out in manga form until Claudine um, in in English. And I bought it largely because I was like, oh hell yes, we need more Ryoko Ikeda in English. I'm a hundred percent like pre-ordering this no questions asked about like even what the material is and then yeah i found it uh very affecting it is a difficult read like again because it starts off feeling kind of like sort of your um not standard exactly but it's got like a very melodramatic like love triangle type vibe to it in a way that's that's reminiscent of a lot of heterosexual like shoujo type stories um from that period but you know, in this case, one of the characters is a trans man, um, which is so it so it starts off in in that vein, and then really digs into in a way that I was very surprised to see in a 1978 manga. Like it holds up well the way it handles the the trans issues, like you were saying, Vry. Like I think that I think that really surprised me at how it hits hard. Again, it's a tough read. I remember you told me you hadn't read it yet, and I was like, oh, it's it's a rough one <laughs> at points. So just take care. Because I think it, I think it does um, hit on some of the more realistic issues as far as like some of the scenes where Cla- uh, Claude gets misgendered mm-hmm. are in with Ryoko Iketa's you know typical kind of dramatic flair, but it really captures like the emotional hurt of that feeling. And so yeah, I I was I was impressed by it in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like I kind of content warning it for folks, like you mm-hmm. said, as far as like you know reading it as a modern reader if you're not looking for it in terms of if you go in knowing, you know, the time period and the and what it's how it's going to end, I think it's, you know, I think it's a very valuable read, but obviously not not everyone wants to read yeah. that, which is totally fair. Yeah, it's not like it it's one of those stories where like l- literally everything that happens to Claude is bad. Like even the brief moments of happiness are like the precursor to something even more tragic happening. But it it like held on to me with like the dignity that his character maintains throughout even when yeah absolutely like the, these grand shows people are throwing themselves on divans and there are rose petals and it's very tragic but yeah i think i think if you know what you are getting into and are okay with that like and emotionally you can are in a place where you're good up for that it's really good and absolutely we should be supporting seven seas's attempts to bring more classic shoujo manga over yes for sure which doesn't happen that often. And there's a reason for that. Perhaps it's because, oh no, I hear the sirens of my rage, also known as... License Rescue 911. Uh, this is the portion of the se- of the show where I will try not to be too aggressively angry at Fantagraphics' business model. So the License Rescue 911 is for Heart of Thomas by Moto Hagio. Originally released by Fantagraphics in 2013, it went out of print over Christmas this last year, um, at the end of the year 2018. Uh, Fantagraphics is basically a bespoke boutique manga publisher and comic publisher. They do a lot of classic collection collections of Western comics, and they've kind of carved out a little niche for themselves doing essentially older shoujo works, specifically Hagios and 
they did that aborted run of Wandering Sun where they made these truly beautiful collections, but nobody bought them because they were hardcovers and it's like a 15 volume series and the the readers who needed to get that manga, specifically young trans readers are, you know, trans folks are three times more likely to be unemployed or to face issues with discrimination at work or homelessness, and maybe they can't afford to buy $15, $20 hardcover novels that never come out digitally or in paperback fantagraphics. They make me very angry uh, in their... Yeah, it's a terrible business model. I hate yeah, it too. They, they're just like... I, I actually own Heart of Thomas. It's quite a beautiful volume. Uh, Rachel Thorne, who is a translator, wrote some amazing essays beforehand. They are quite good. But they're incredibly inaccessible, and now this one, for instance, is out of print, and they do not pursue digital uh, digital releases of their titles even after print runs run out. So now it's just kind of not a thing anymore, and I hate that. Um, I'm really lucky my library actually carries a lot of Fantagraphics books. Yeah, that's how I was able to read uh, the bits of Wandering Sun that made it stateside was through mm -hmm. my library. Because, yeah, otherwise I kept looking at the volumes and going, I just can't do 20 bucks a volume. I'm sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for a really long running series. And, like, the Poe Clan is coming out uh, this summer, and I will be buying that because, of course, I will. But it's going to be 50, vol 50 bucks for one volume, which is not the whole series. Ooh. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's a miserable. Yeah, I remember when when Wandering Sun was like when they were talking about how it was going to die. I remember seeing some folks like criticizing like readership, basically being like, you know, you say you want these titles and then you don't buy them, and so that's why they go out of print. And I was like, no, it's your shitty business model because I think Seven Seas and other companies have proven that these titles can do well um, if you make them accessible to your readership, which is not going to be people with shit tons of money to spend on hardcover mm -hmm. books. Anyway, yeah. we're not, we haven't talked about Heart of Thomas yet. We spent a lot of time complaining about a business model. because well, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I just wanted to get that out there because Fantagraphics may show up again if we keep doing these long enough. Uh, but yeah, Heart of Thomas really bums me out. Absolutely. If you can get it from your library, please do, uh, because it is, maybe one of my favorite classic shoujos. It's, it is a, tra it, you know, it's got tragic dead gaze in it, but it's unusual in that a lot of stories from this era that are BL or was called Shonen I at the time end with a suicide. Uh, this story begins with suicide and spends the rest of the story dealing with the aftermath of that and characters learning how to live, which I find really interesting. So uh, we open with at a boys boarding school in Germany because... A lot of these stories take place there as a way to kind of exoticize these stories, and that's how they got published. Um, a young man named uh, Julie or Yuli uh, receives a letter where a young man named Thomas has confessed his feelings, and uh, that you know that very morning his body is discovered washing up from the river, and so he's dead. Nobody knows why except for Yuli who is living with, oh God, oh God, I killed this boy who I never had a relationship with. He confessed to me once and I brushed him off and he's dead now. How do I live with that? Um, and then at the same time, Yuli's new roommate shows up, uh, a boy named Oscar who looks just like Thomas, except Thomas was this very sweet, accommodating young man. And um, Oscar is has the same face, but is very brash and straightforward and is really annoyed that everybody is comparing him to this dead kid he never knew. Um, and so he kind of ends up in Yuli's orbit and wondering what the heck this kid's deal is. And it deals with, you know, growing up and with religion and with uh, surviving sexual assault and shame. And it is dark, but surprisingly nuanced for the era of the material and kind of the other contemporaneous stuff going on in a way that I find really impressive. And it has, again, this is one of those for the era things, a really hopeful ending, like, a, um, and a really kind ending to Yuli in, I, in a way that I like and gives me the heart feels. And I don't know, I just, it, it's yet another one that I ended up reading out of, oh, well, it's Hagio, and I gotta do it, because, like, this is the famous one, aside from Kazutoki no Uda, which, still asking Seven Seas, where is it? <laughs> um, but, and, and it ended up being, oh, oh God, oh God, I have to lay down. I'm having feelings about these children. Aw. Yeah, that's one I've always wanted to read and just, um, as far as accessibility, was never really an opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Good to know it's great. Yeah. 
be nice if somebody would license rescue mm-hmm. it. Um, but maybe I'll check and see if my library will carry it. Yep. Yep. It's really, really sad. If only I get doing bespoke print runs where you get the collectors, but then maybe once that goes under, you consider doing digital other than just deciding not to do it because you've decided not to do it as nearly as I've heard. It's very annoying. Um, and Caitlin, you mentioned that you had read Heart of Thomas as well. Yes. It's good. Uh, it is. It's a really, really good series. It's definitely a really strong introduction to a lot of people to Motohagio's work, I think. Mm-hmm. It's uh, relatively accessible and really beautiful and accessible but challenging in the way that a lot of her work is challenging. And yeah, no, I think it's a really good sample of sort of what she has to offer. Yeah, you you can still get Otherworld Barbara. That is, for the moment, still in print, which I liked, but it felt less cohesive a story than Heart of Thomas, which is just a very complete story. Yeah, um, somebody, anybody, Seven Seas, maybe... Uh, well, that bummed. We do not know how licensing works. We're just going to shout things at companies until it happens. I mean, we're pretty sure that's how it works. I mean, right? they'll just tell us to go to their uh, to go to go to their, their suggestions, their survey. Uh, yeah. yeah, like Seven Seas has been so good about about licensing cool things and making themselves accessible to reader suggestions that now I'm starting to to get hopes about them, which is dangerous. All of this is extremely depressing, and I think what this calls for is a group hug. I concur. Especially after talking about two kind of <laughs> kind of rough queer titles, we can pivot into um, a, a much happier one. Yes. Uh, this is, of course, the segment where everybody on the podcast has read the series in question. Uh, and we are once again looking at a Seven Seas title, The Bride Was a Boy, uh, released by Chi, which is a very thin little um, autobiographical sort of essay slash four coma style uh, manga about the author's uh, coming out as a trans woman and her process of transitioning and marrying her husband. It's uh, uh, decidedly an educational manga. And it's nice. Yeah, it's adorable. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect when it came out. Like, obviously, the art was really cute. Um, But it's, yeah, it's just a really sweet story um again autobiographical story and the educational bits i think are really i think are to to me anyway are well done in terms of especially in terms of giving folks in the u.s an idea of like what um you know queer activism especially like trans activism trans rights look like um but the author also touches on the fact that like you know same-sex marriage is illegal and the difficulties that can cause and overall it's a very um hopeful, sweet, optimistic title because Chi's journey is relatively free of complications, which is nice to see, I think. I think it's nice for folks to have those stories, but it also doesn't like completely sweep under the rug the fact that there are some issues. And the author will say like, I like there's, I remember, I, I remember one ending with like, just let, just let gay people get married already. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and, and, and husband Kun, as she calls, as she calls her husband is very shy and oh, adorable. What a sweet guy. What a sweet guy. Yeah, and her, and I just, I love how just, like, supportive her family is. And I know when it was, when it came out, there was a little bit of, like, social media criticism about how, like, it was too, it was, like, two people were complaining about how nice it was, basically. Like, oh, nobody's situation is actually going to be this, like, positive. And I'm like, well, maybe. Hers maybe was? This, hers was. Like, she wrote this autobiographical story, and I mean... Hers was, and I think, and that's nice. Like, it's good to see that not everyone, not everyone's coming out story is, you know, full of, like tragedy and drama like I think that again I think that's really really good to have those narratives out there as well mm-hmm. yeah and like obviously it, it, it you can see even in the manga like she had the money to be able to go to she, she chose to surgically transition and she had the money to go to Thailand and stay in a, a, a really good hospital where they took excellent care of her and weren't horrible to her so and like obviously those are privileged things that a lot of folks can't access but also sometimes it's just nice to have a story where it goes okay yeah. The one thing I found kind of interesting, like, I do the links posts for the site, so I, I re- end up reading a lot of news specifically about queer issues in Japan, um, is that Chi, th- there's like a tiny little essay in there where she talks about not really liking the term sexual minorities, and um, mm-hmm. which is, as near as I can tell, that's actually the more embraced term, um, the more embraced term among uh, Japan's queer community. So that was kind of interesting. 
Yeah, I think, and one thing I think she does a, a good job of in the series is, in um, in the little, like, educational segments is a lot of the time uh, she'll kind of preface the ending with, like, you know, there's still some debate about this, or this is, I can't speak for everyone, this is just my opinion. It's, you know, it's very individualized kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I think that that's often the case. Um, right. Um, it's, it's, because I feel like there's a temptation among cis readers um, or people who are just learning to to sort of take one person's word and take it as gospel and it's like oh well my friend said this so this is how it must be for everyone and she is very careful to like uh contextualize everything and say like you know this is my opinion this is not like necessarily everyone agrees on there's a lot of debate about this um it it is very like it is very 101 but the 101 is while she's doing it she is very clear like she uses very clear language about what is still ambiguous um where there is room for discussion and what is like no this is this is what it is Mm -hmm. yeah and like if you've been you know there are so many poor bad faith arguments on twitter from people who are like gay gay and trans people queer people don't exist in japan that's not a thing that's a western invention what and like if if you are definitely if you are one of the people who's like well obviously that isn't true but you don't know where to start in terms of beginning to learn about those issues i feel like this is a really good starting place to begin to like find terms that you can look up and that kind of stuff it's nice to have it yeah it's nice to have a resource like that on hand mm-hmm. and it's pretty recent like obviously with issues that are this much in the public eye um it, it is already beginning to be a little outdated like obviously marriage equality is those lawsuits were recently brought on valentine's day but a lot of it is still quite contemporaneous and you know useful yeah it was published in 2016 i believe mm-hmm. so um it's so again it's it's pretty it's a pretty recent series so it, it's a good one to throw at folks i think yeah so i think and again it's seven c's so it's you know it's in a little over ten dollars um but it's a nice package um it's there's some quite a few pretty color pages at the beginning mm-hmm. um yeah no it's a it's a mm-hmm. good looking little volume so i'd recommend it for I sure like their releases mm-hmm. yeah like seven i, I love seven seas they put a lot of effort into their releases and also like i love how they're bringing over a lot of web manga because that creates a lot of room for like different perspectives outside of sort of the mainstream manga uh, manga magazines and what like the editors are saying like the super capitalist like editor saying this is what will sell so this is what you're gonna Mm -hmm. write yeah it is yeah that's true all right well i have been talking a lot this podcast and honestly my throat is getting a little (laughs) tired so i think i'm going to turn it over to somebody else caitlin you have read a manga that nobody else on the team today has and so it is time for you to hit me with your best sell i can't believe you didn't sing it (laughs) i've been yelling at you guys to read all my darling daughters for forever so i don't know why i'm still the only one who has who's read it i okay i've heard you bring up the title i've never gotten an actual pitch other than hey you should check this out so okay Caitlin, hit us hit us with that best sell the time is now all right so all my darling daughters is a one shot of uh connected short stories by fumi yoshinaga it's it's hard to sum up um other than saying it's about women's lives it's about women in times of transition in women dealing with sort of expectations of them the first story is about uh, a 30 a 30 year old woman named uh, yukiko she's working full-time um and living with her mom who recently had a cancer scare and one day her mom brings over this 27 year old actor and uh, slash host and says i got married and yukiko sort of She's lived alone with her mother since she was a young girl, since her father died when she was 12. And now she has to deal with changes to that pattern. Um, So that's sort of the the first story, and it sets the tone for the rest of the book. Uh, And then the other stories are about people in Yukiko's lives. Um, And they are just, the next story is the weakest story. It's about a call, once again. We got it. We keep doing this. It's about a college professor whose student one day storms into his offer and threatens to starts taking off her shirt and says that she'll uh, scream and if he doesn't let her give him a blowjob. Oh, and Lord. 
I know. And, and it's sort of about how his growing like bond with her and her self-esteem issues. This woman has never had anyone treat her kindly in her life. And the moment he starts treating her kindly, she says he's too good for her and stops coming. You know, her, her, her friend from college is an architect and people keep pressuring her to get married but and so she's going to all these omis but she doesn't know if she's capable of fa really falling in love because she wants to treat all people equally the story of her mother who has this terrible self-perception who's convinced that she's ugly even though she's beautiful because her mother told was afraid of her becoming too vain and told her that and made fun of her looks for her entire childhood um all these different you know all these different women dealing with their self-perceptions as well as the perceptions of the world around them and what the world expects out of them. And they're, you know, you, Fumi Yoshinaga is a wonderful character writer. So they're all, even in these short stories, very like fully human characters, beautifully drawn, very a specifically feminist out, uh, outlook too, because there one, there's one story about um, two of Yukiko's friends from middle school and sort of how they grew up. And it starts off with the three of them talking and one of them's like, I don't see why when a woman's lawyer, we call it her a female lawyer, but when a man's lawyer, it's just a lawyer and how the world batters them and it batters them with these expectations and with reality. It's still, it's not pessimistic either. It's just really, it's real, it's realistic, but it's also very hopeful. Yukiko is the closest thing to a main character. I adore her. Um, she's beautiful but she's not traditionally beautiful she's got like really like wide shoulders and she like a kind kind of a resting bitch face <laughs> she's lazy and a slob there's one part where like she's complaining about not being able to wander around naked anymore <laughs> uh because like there's uh because now there's this man living in her house and <laughs> she moves then she moves in with her boyfriend and they get married and was she's back to just like walking around naked and he's like can't you can you just put like a towel on <laughs> i'm like relatable so yeah it's it's a series that really everyone who has an interest in what we do at anime feminist should check out because it is so relevant to the world um that we live in even though the series is 17 years old now there's still so much that's resonant today and it really does have just just women's women's stories without any fantastical dressing or anything like that i um i haven't read this particular series i i, I keep meaning to pick it up but i have read a fair amount of Yoshinaga's work and she's definitely she's definitely always worth reading. Sometimes she frustrates me, but her work is always interesting and, and like you said, she's really good at character portraits and these very little down to earth moments. I added it to my wish list five minutes ago. So <laughs> someday we'll talk about what did you eat yesterday on this podcast and, and I will joy and despair in equal measure. Uh, and I will join you. <laughs> we could do an entire episode on food manga for we should do an episode on coming someday. I'll have to read a few more, but that that's maybe a that's maybe a themed a themed category we could do at some point as well. Yes, good. So you hit me with a good sell there, Caitlin. Clearly, so hold yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Well done. I I will <laughs> seek out my Yay. library tomorrow. I did it. And let me know in the comments if you decide to read it based on this. <laughs> Please. Okay. Caitlin it. just wants to talk about all my darling daughters with someone. I do. With somebody. So you'll I help her out there. I keep trying to write an article about it, but it just turns into gushing. <laughs> well, going from Fumi Yoshinaga's excellent uh, portrayals of complicated people, I think it's time to introduce our new segment, which uh, we're trying out for the first time in this podcast, which is what new means. Oh no, it's complicated. Bum, bum, bum! Not nuance, right? Anything but nuance. <laughs> no, we're just supposed to be able to tell you if it, ch if it checks the box. The feminism box. There has, there's a stamp. We give out a stamp and that's all we do. <laughs> anyway, so this is, yeah. So this is the category where we talk about stuff that has, you know, a combination of good and bad or difficult things. And we go from there. Yes. And it seemed like the perfect title to talk about for this first outing was uh, Natsume Ono's Not Simple, 
which is released by Viz Media. As far as I know, it is still in print. Uh, it's at least digital because that's how I got it. I'd been I stared at that one on bookshelves for I guess the better part of a decade because it's been out for a while, and I kept going, I should check that out. I should check that out. I never did until like three weeks ago before we were doing this podcast. So I, I get at least half of the manga I read from the library. It's the only way I can afford it. So no, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, uh, this is Natsume Ono is sometimes hit or miss for me. Um, I House of Five Leaves is one of my favorite things ever. Uh, I couldn't really uh, I couldn't really vibe with Aka Thirteen. Uh, she has a very detached style, which is. Thank God, in the case of this manga. <laughs> yeah, she's. I've been reading quite a bit of her stuff recently. Um, I kind of want to read everything she's written, because I find her very interesting, and I also think a creator spotlight on her would be pretty great. That's good. Um, she really likes to deal with subjects that would normally be portrayed as, like, extremely dramatic and intense, like, uh, political, like uh, a political coup in the case of Akka, or, you know, a crime organization in Edo, Japan, in the case of House of Five Leaves. Um, she likes to take those sort of like almost melodrama fodder and write them more like slice of lives. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating in a way that I think is, again, I think it's going to be really hit or miss for pretty much everyone. It's one that's kind of a tough, tough to pitch. Like you're either going to like the tone or you're not, you're going to find it like really distancing. And in the case of not simple, she sort of applies that tone to, God, how would you describe it, Vry? Every Lifetime movie ever made, maybe? Uh, I, I, <laughs> Not I a believe, Lifetime movie, exactly. Yeah, I would call it, um, God, what is his name? Ian's No Good, Terrible, Horrible, Very Bad Life. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of tragedy porn, um, and it's a lot of the elements that you see in a lot of, like, after-school special, like, over-the-top melodrama type things, um, as far as, like there's um yeah um it it is a story that begins at the ending where we meet this man uh named ian and he is homeless and he meets a woman briefly um they have a misconnection and then he dies and there is another man named jim who we learn was going to write his life story and was probably in love with him and he commits suicide um well Here's the thing, though. Or does he? We're told those things happen. We don't. We don't know if he dies, and we don't know if Jim commits suicide. We we don't actually see either of those things. That's happen. true. Um, so the story kind of leaves a door open at the end, which I am. I am. I'm gonna wedge my foot in that door and kick it open. <laughs> you know what? I would to subscribe to your fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's. It is. And and part of that is just is kind of Ono's style is that a lot of the really intense stuff tends to happen off screen and you deal more with the aftermath or the conversations around it as the characters try to work through mm -hmm. it. Um, which again I find like fascinating that that's how she does her stories. And this one is this one should be insufferable, but I think I kind of liked it even though it's got a bunch of like sort of issues with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Brian? yeah, definitely. I, I definitely walked away from it being like, I should hate this. All of the plot points are stupid and contrived, but I really think I liked it, maybe? Because, like, Ian has... We flash back and we sort of follow Ian from childhood to the point where the manga begins. And he had, you know, an alcoholic mother uh, and a sister who he loves, but who is, you know, constantly ripped out of his life. And his travels and travails and losses in life. And it's just, oh, God, like you said Lifetime movie. And the more you like the more I mull on it, the more that seems very correct. Either life. Well, and it's like and then there's like all these like kind of sorted like soap opera elements like his sister might be his mom. And there's there's a whole sort of side plot about a child prostitution that's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um and I do, I do really like that he he befriends a couple of uh, gay guys when he gets to in New York, and their their interactions and like relationship on the side is like a very nice breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Ono is not does not when gosh okay actually now I have to think when was this written? I think it was 2010, but I'm on the Wikipedia page and I'm nope. It's quite a bit oh. earlier than that. It was 2004 to 2005. And the story takes place partly in Australia, partly in England, and partly in America. And does not... I, like, it doesn't balk from, like, the characters have to deal with homophobia. Like, one of them does not speak to his family because they uh, 
basically disapproved when he came out. Um, yeah, that's the, the, the other one. The other one has a better, yeah, the biographer. Um, um, their, their other friend who I liked their other friend who just kind of couch surfs <laughs> uh, Rick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's kind of implied to be Jim's boyfriend, kind of. Um, again, a lot of stuff happens off screen in this or like through subtleties and implication. He kind of just shows up as just sort of like just the one kind of nice guy whose situation isn't terribly complicated. Like he sort of ran away from home, but they want him to come back. So it's hard to tell like exactly what his his deal is. Um, but overall, I think it handles those elements of the story. Like I was worried that was going to devolve into like a lot of, oh, the tragedy of being gay. Mm-hmm. And it never really did. Yeah, so. even like the, oh, no, I'm in love with a man who's probably pres- presumed straight is is so lightly touched on that I didn't hate it. And I always hate that. Yeah, it's, again, it's, uh, how did you describe it in our group chat? Uh, not, oh no's 500 yards of distance are the reason that this that this works. Is It's the only reason it's tolerable, yeah. Yeah, um, and it's, it's such a weird one. Again, that's why this is in the Oh No, It's Complicated. It's one where I would be very hesitant to pitch it to people. I think it's worth reading, but it is just such a strange series where if I try to describe it to you, you're going to go, that sounds like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it kind of does. Yeah, and we've described, like, most of the plot points, but it doesn't matter because it's so much about, like, all these little conversations between characters. Yeah, and it it's the the way it kind of tells the story almost in reverse um, allows it to like you begin with the tragedy before you really get to know anybody and they end on this moment of hope where Ian kind of where Ian has the connection with this older woman who you had heard about in the first in the first little bit and so it I don't know it's it's this sense of like again I still I get the sense that Ono is intentionally trying to tackle these like big melodramatic stories and try to find like the human thread or connection beneath them and i think that's really fascinating even if i'm sort of hesitant to like outright recommend this the title to people Mm -hmm. yeah i i don't always like the results of of what she attempts but i always think it's interesting i still need to read restaurante paradiso which is her as well yeah i haven't read that one but i've watched the anime and it's it's quite well done Mm -hmm. so i would recommend it too it is the it is the most it's it's i did i did an article about it um it's a tremendously good age gap romance and those are like impossible to do well and it does it really well yeah Yeah, i feel like because she picks such difficult topics and does them with such restraint once she works she works like gangbusters and it's like the best thing yeah um and not simple i don't know if it was it had to have been one of her somewhat earlier works i don't know how long ono's been in the business um i think it was her first title that made it stateside yeah well house of five leaves got made into an anime in 2010 so i feel like a lot of her work was there in the 2000s uh, yeah, Not Simple was her second title after La Quinta Camera, which I've read. It's cute. Mm. So yeah, it's an earlier work, and I think that she refines that style and, and does a better job in, in her later stories of pulling, of taking, of removing the really, like, melodramatic sort of cliche tropes. Um, so she's still kind of playing with the concept of, like, I'm going to take this this big drama story and do this different thing with it. Um, but she takes out the stuff that will really make you roll your eyes, which I think she hadn't quite figured out how to do with Not Simple because, again, there's a lot. And it's just like one thing after another for poor Ian. As you said, Ian and the terrible, hor- horrible, no good, very bad life. <laughs> but it's somehow not like relentless and exhausting because she does kind of find these little blips of, of uh, hope or kindness in, in the middle of it. So, yeah, it's she's an interesting writer and Not Simple is an interesting early, early outing for her, I would say. Yeah, so I think if you're... It might be one where try one of her other series first, maybe um, one of the ones we've listed, <laughs> three or four. Um, and if you like those, give this a try. I don't think this is a good first intro to her as an as a mangaka. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. So, uh, so from something we are ambivalent to positive on, now is the second part of the podcast where I get really bad at something. I swear, next time it'll be somebody else. Go, Vry, go. This is our manger corner where somebody rips apart their their open chest with feelings of anger about something they read that sucked a lot. And I did another thing where I was reading something for historical completion. And I read Osama Tezuka's MW, which is, I believe, still currently available from uh, Vertical. Uh, Once again, I got it from a library. Thank God I didn't pay money for this. 
Uh, so M.W. is one of Tezuka, the father of mangas, as he is sometimes called, whether or not that's correct, you can debate all day, not the point. And it was published from 1976 to 1978. You may recall that as around the time that uh, Claudine uh, was coming out. Uh, Kazetaki no Uda, which I mentioned, was also being published. Uh, it is two years before Heart of Thomas, the surprisingly positive manga. And then there's this piece of shit. <laughs> I have heard people refer to this as a an inspiration monster, the the the, the Urasawa manga monster, which I can see, but only in the loosest of terms that it is about a man who feels responsible for creating a monster and that kind of symbiotic relationship. So like, okay, but monsters way better than this. Um, so MW is about a uh, man, Michio Yuki who is a banker by day, but in secret, he is actually uh, the most depraved sort of person. You know, he's a criminal, he's a rapist, he's a murderer. He has gay sex. Horrifying. Oh, no. Um, he fucks his dog. Oh, uh-huh. God. No, don't fuck your dog. Uh-huh. Welcome to hell. I live in it. <laughs> Caitlin. Um, and every time he does some kind of horrible thing, he will come to this little church in the middle of nowhere and come to confession and... This man, uh, with a man specifically named uh, Father Garai. But, uh, uh, wait. At first it seems to be a normal confession, but then they end up in bed together. And you think, ah, what is the relationship between these two men? And it turns out that this priest feels responsible for this man who he knew as a child. And he feels like, I have to save him or I have to destroy him. Um, and, you know, the dog fucking and all that shit gets introduced later. So, I, I like, the first couple chapters of the manga are almost like... All right, this is an evil gay thing, but also I like Hannibal, so I'm kind of in it for this whole really dysfunctional I connection thing going on. All right, Tezuka, let's see what you've got. And it turns out what he's got is nothing, because when Tezuka is on, he is really, really on, but he's also so prolific that it feels like there were a lot of series that just kind of petered off into nothing. And in this case, not only is the ending incredibly unsatisfying, it just gets into this nastier and nastier spiral where um, Yuki's character is almost like Tezuka is pushing himself to like build on his own shock value. So, you know, by halfway through, we've gotten to the dog fucking and it's sure something. Um, and it eventually turns out that the reason Father Garai uh, feels responsible is that when he was a kid, he met, um, when he was like a an adolescent, he um, met this this 10-year-old kid who was Yuki, this innocent kid who was like the survivor of an accident, uh, and sexually assaulted him. So in fact, he raped him into gay, and then he became a horrible sociopathic murderer. And so that's why all of this kicked off. And then it ends with the priest dying, and they seem to both go down in flames together, but no, no. No, no, the horrible man had a twin that we never heard of before now, and that was, the nice twin was the one who died. And the horrible... The, the, the horrible murder rapist has escaped to murder rape another day. The end. I hated it. I hated it. It's really ugly. I mean, like, I know 70s manga didn't have as much dynamic panel stuff going on in the shonen seinen sphere, but it's not even as good looking as Devilman. I hated it. <laughs> it was so bad. Oh. Extremely glad I've never read that Tezuka. Yeah. I've Boy, only read his shoujo. <laughs> Which is a weird thing to it to say, but... I don't know if I've ever actually read any Tezuka. I will steer far, far away from MW, that's for sure. Yeah, it was just... Uh, again, it was a dark and problematic premise, but one that I feel like could have been interesting, and I think shows itself far more interesting in, in Monster, where uh, Urasawa even lifted the sort of weird sexual dynamics, except that he split them into twins which was a decision. Boy, that age gap romance was bad. Um, but yeah, this is not good. Even as a historical read, Tezuka's done a lot more interesting things. Go watch Dororo. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah, better use of or, your time. I mean, I've um, I mean, I've read Princess Knight, and again, it's it's definitely dated, but um, it does some pretty interesting things for like the 50s, mm -hmm. for sure. So yeah, there's, there's better Tezuka out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was a regret. Sometimes we have those. But uh, let's get away from that. I think it's time to talk about other things 
I, actually, what we're doing is we're heading right back into the complicated category, but we're calling it another two to mango. Caitlin, you have not gotten a chance to dance yet, and I don't think that's fair. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> you don't have a choice, Caitlin. You have to mango. No. You have to mango. I don't like mango. Listen, if my friends can't dance, then they're no friends of mine. <laughs> I don't like I don't like mangoes. They have too much sugar. I'm trying to stay away from sugar and get in shape. More for me. Play the game, uh, Harding. <laughs> I want to be at what uh, I perceive as a healthy weight. Uh, much like in the manga, in clothes called fat. I could shouldn't say that. That's not good. <laughs> it's a bumpy landing there, Chief. You shouldn't do anything like in clothes called fat. <laughs> um. And any weight can be healthy. Yay. <laughs> we, we did it. That was we're, quite we're the here. segue. Uh, yes, we are discussing. <laughs> you contorted and spun on that dance floor, but you got there. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> yes, uh, Enclosed Called Fat by Moyoko Ano, uh, released by Vertical. Again, we're still with Vertical. Uh, it is, I have also read this series. It is interesting. Uh, Caitlin, do you want to go first on this one? Uh, maybe. <laughs> In Clothes Called Fat is a 90s Josei manga about an office lady called Noko, who is fat. And she has a longtime boyfriend. She, you know, expects that they're going to get married. But she gets bullied at the office uh, because of her weight. And also, her boyfriend is cheating on her. Um, and is really only with her because uh, she is weak. And so, to resolve that weakness... And the bullying, she decides that she is going to go to a spa that will help her lose weight. Uh, and boy, there are two kinds of Jose manga uh, with a lot of gradations between. But they have the like sort of uh, rom-com, uh, getting married, like my goal is to get married, relatable lives. And then there is the sort of challenging... Uh, kind of dark ones. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I don't. Most things, mo most of them exist within that continuum. Yeah, I, I, at least the ones I, I think have that's. Read. I yes. would say that's that's true. That's definitely true of the ones that have made it to the that have made it out in English. Um, yes, which is a relatively small sample size. But I think that I think that a lot of the Jose we get are either these really difficult dramas, which I'm pretty sure in Clothes Called Fat is one of those, or more of a or more of a uh, Higashimura style like rom com. Mm -hmm. I definitely, as I was reading, um, inevitably drew a lot of mental comparisons with uh, Kyoko Okazaki's Helter Skelter, um, which I don't want to talk too much about because I want to give it its own spotlight someday in future because I love it. I also have not read that. I one. love it so much, um, and I feel like. Enclosed called fat is really interesting, which is one of those damning phrases, but I mean it sincerely. Um, as I was reading it, it reminded me of a lot of books in English that I read as a teenager, where it it captures the the anger and the frustration of being a fat person in a fat phobic society, and like the ways that that can lead to self loathing and self harm, and I feel like. It is really on point um, and, and very true in capturing that anger, but it doesn't really have a solution for it. And I, at a certain point in my life, that was enough uh, just to feel seen in that anger. And I don't I don't know much about um, Jose manga aside of what we've gotten in English, which, like you said, D is relatively little. So maybe that's where it's at is that just to feel seen for fat readers is revolutionary. But for me as an English reader where the conversation is very, very slowly moving on from that, it left me kind of frustrated at the end that it's it, it's it's kind of a miserable story. Yes, it is it is a miserable story. It's it it's definitely um it use it it also has I think it has the issue where it uses fatness as a metaphor for sort of her being her being uh weak and passive. Right, there's this whole thing about how her spirit is thin. Oh my god. Right. And so it's like it's definitely problematic. It's a twenty year old it's a it, it's a twenty year old uh story from a coming from a society that is 
even more fat phobic than ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I wasn't when I was living in Japan, I wasn't even like remotely fat and I couldn't find clothes that fit me. Yeah, it it is definitely the first time in a long time where I've I've read a manga and thought and and, and came like smack up against that wall of oh this is this is not for me it in a way that it's like that's but it might be really powerful to somebody else so it it left me with these kind of defunct feelings about it like i can have all the feelings i want but it's old and it doesn't matter because the people who need to see this might need it i don't know yeah no it's it's uh it's definitely a very very challenging series um or not series well it's a very challenging story um because it works a lot with a lot with metaphor for like problems that are both metaphorical and for literal and literal for people so that kind of runs into issues but at the same time like you know it's still like humanizing to her and the way people treat her when she's fat is still very like genuine and awful and like when a person is uh treated like crap by a society whether it is because of their their body size or any other reason they do become more susceptible to abuse and they do become more susceptible to people who pay them attention but ultimately pay attention to them who but ultimately treat them like crap which is the case with uh noko's boyfriend he is a shitty dude oh i hate him He's a shitty, shitty dude, and he who only stays with her because, like, she's so fawning of him. But she's fawning of him because, like, he he acts like he loves her when no one else will because she's fat, uh, because she's marginalized by her size. So, it's um, it works on a couple of levels, and it's it's tricky. I feel like it's. It's of a different degree and, like, a different conversation, obviously, but in a way, it it is not dissimilar from Claudine, where it's like, this is a snapshot of something humanizing that's still working within these constraints of how it thinks it has to end. Right. So it's definitely one where you have got to be in a very particular mindset and, like, be safe if you're going to read it, but there is value there i think yeah and it is potentially very triggering oh my god yeah um uh i do i do want to put that out there um it has eating disorders and fat phobia and just people being terrible in general so yeah no i want to keep but read with caution mm-hmm. yeah but yeah it, it like i am glad we get a lot of I, I am glad we are getting these kinds of Jose. Like, they are overwhelmingly the kind I like to read, even if I'm glad that the fluffy stuff is out there also. Yes, I 100% agree. I like the fluffy stuff in some degree, too. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see more of Anno's, like, her more recent stuff brought over. It'd be interesting. Yes, mm. absolutely. But I do think that after all of that rough talk, it is time to come down on something adorable that we can all agree is healing to the soul. So let's have one final group hug. <laughs> group hug side B. Hooray. Yay, I get to join the conversation hugs. again. Yay. And we are going to talk about a series that was actually spotlighted not too long ago on the website. Well, as of recording this, who knows when this podcast is going to actually go live to our listeners. <laughs> not long ago could mean anything. That's true. <laughs> In the year. Time is time is an illusion. So, <laughs> Yes, as we are recording, it was like last week, but who knows? Uh, Siunde's Go For It Nakamura, once again brought to us by Seven Seas. Thanks, Seven Seas. I like the fluffy queer manga they're bringing over. They're very nice. Yes. Oh, it's a, and I'm, I'm very ex- They're bringing over a horror BL manga by the same author this year, and I'm so excited. Put it in my face. Oh, that did get licensed. That'll be fun. Uh-huh. So yeah, uh, Go For It Nakamura for folks at home. Um, it is the story of a, uh, awkward uh, high school boy who has a raging crush on his classmate. Um, the main character is Nakamura, obviously, and the classmate is Hirose. Um, it's sort of a series of like loosely connected, kind of episodic little rom-com tales about Nakamura sort of trying to get closer to Hirose and then thinking he like ruined everything, but Hirose either didn't even realize that he was trying to like do something with him or ends up liking him. Like They end up getting a little bit closer by the end of the, uh, the bit. And it, I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about the ending. Um, it ends in a cute place. I will say it is a cute yes. series all the way through. Yeah, it is. Um, it is not a romance, I feel like we should say. Like, Nakamura's yeah. goal is to 
to start by making friends. It has a rom-com vibe to it in terms of Nakamura clearly has a huge crush on Hirose, but the goal isn't like, I'm going to hop in bed with him. It's like, I want, it's, it's very, to me, it has kind of a similar vibe to like a lot of shoujo where it's like, oh, I just like him so much. I just want to spend time with him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is it's very sort of the cute. Opposite, it's the opposite of Jackass. Uh, like I was talking about, Jackass is uh, a sexy BL with a lot of fucking. Um, and Nakamura is a cute, sweet little BL with just uh, friendship that could just great turn for to me. love. Question mark? I'm not a yeah, I'm not a huge fan of erotica just in general. So um, I have a which mean which means I have a slightly easier time finding um, other romance titles I like and a much harder time finding BL titles I like uh, just based on what has been brought over stateside. Um, but yeah, I jumped on Nakamoto when it came out and it's. It's just it's just super cute and fun, and I like how it. I think it does a good job of showing Nakamura as a clumsy teen without veering into the realm of like creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like he definitely has some moments where it's like you are treading into some like unhealthy territory, but it comes across I think more as a teenager fumbling with feelings, which is often messy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a very light touch to it. Yeah, like, he, he has that one fantasy about the octopus with Hirose. Well, and he asks the and he asks the girl in class who draws manga to, like, draw a manga of him and Hirose together. Um, oh. I mean, the, like, fantasies are fantasies. And, like, he clearly, like, sees Hirose as a person. So, like, I'm not too fussed about it. The doujinshi's a little much. Yeah. That's a little far. Um, but it is a very teenage thing to do. Mm-hmm. Friend fiction. <laughs> he, yeah, there is a certain Tina Belterness about Nakamura. There really yeah. is. Now that I say it, <laughs> it's good. I, I really, and I really like how the story, because you know, a lot of, a lot of manga that are about the feeling of falling in love, the crush is kind of secondary to the point, and but but Hirose is a nice balance of like he's just a, he's a nice boy, but also he has character traits. Like he feels like a rounded person. Yeah, and I think the I think the the volume the series it's a one shot. Um, the manga does a good job of like kind of gradually revealing who Hirose is to both you and Nakamura, who only you know he doesn't really know him at the start of the series. He's this kid in his class who he likes. Um, and then as they yeah. get to have more one-on-one interactions, um, we get a better feel for like who he is and why Nakamura likes him. And you're like, oh yeah, no, this is cute. I ship it. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would totally read another volume of the story if, if Siunde decided to continue it. But also, it is a nice contained story as it is, and I love the art. Um, I, f- I think I think it was Marion who was the first one to describe it as Rumiko Takahashi if her gender politics didn't suck. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think a lot of people have made that observation. I definitely noticed that. But it is just, like, lovely retro art. Um, I love Rumiko Takahashi's art and Shunde's. They're very good, like, sort of modern inter- interpretation of it. And, like, yeah, I mean, I would read the heck out of a sequel. I want, because I want to see Nakamura and Hirose kiss. Um, oh, they might hold <laughs> hands at an aquarium. Oh. I know! <laughs> It would definitely be at an aquarium. Oh. Yes. Watching the octopus. Because mm-hmm. Nakamura loves octopus. Octopi. He, octopi, he Octo- does. Octopi, octopode. Octopi. Technically right. octopode. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real Greek one. It's just nice and, and very healing and a very quick, easy read. And it's good to see as just a normalizing force. Because don't... I like some some porny titles now and again but it is good to see just all ages stuff that's accessible that to break that conception of uh well all bl is porn you know well and i think it's it's also nice to have titles that you would feel more comfortable throwing at a younger readership right like i wouldn't have any problem throwing nakamura at like, somebody i'd say middle school probably i'd be okay like upper middle school seventh eighth grade yeah like like 12 even i think i think and even then like the octopus scene is the the octopus fantasy is the only thing pushing it away from like a 10 year old. Exactly. Like it's, it's just that it's just the fact that Nakamura does have, I mean like the series doesn't present him as asexual. Like he is, he is, he is, um, I'm trying to think saying homosexual anymore sounds like I feel 
He's horny. Conservatives, he has a have, horny teen. conservatives have ruined that word. Thank you. Uh-huh. He's horny. He's definitely a horny teen. Um, so the fact that it is dealing with some of that mm-hmm. sort of burgeoning sexuality, I think, is the only reason I wouldn't I wouldn't pitch it at a younger audience. And again, it depends on the parents and all that stuff. But most most BL, I would have a hard time throwing at a younger um, at a younger reader, especially like a, a like a middle school oh, boy who's realizing he's themselves. gay. Oh, they will. They'll they'll go out and find it themselves. Don't get me wrong. But it's nice to have titles <laughs> like these that you can be like, yeah, read this. It's cute, and mm-hmm. you know it'll show you that your your own awkward crushing feelings are normal and fine, and mm-hmm. are just as silly as anyone else's awkward crushing feelings. So, and, and sort of contributing to that is um, is very casual about Nakamura being gay. Mm-hmm. Like he is. Like people say, it's like oh, is, he's a normal teenager who happens to be gay. And it's like no, like being gay is one of his defining traits in the manga but it's there's no angst about like he knows he's gay from the start like Mm -hmm. there's no like when he wakes up he sees Hirose he's like what is this feeling Mm -hmm. no he's another boy I'm only supposed to feel this way about girls like there's none of that he's he's gay like uh he knows it he is comfortable with that he has uh you know dealt sort of dealt with that recognizing that in himself and and i feel like there's not a lot of gay media that's like that casual about it where it's like you being gay doesn't have to be like a huge angsty thing uh it's just like you know you can know that you're gay and be and be cool with it and move on with your life and just have crushes like a normal teenager he, he does have that moment of wait am i bi because he meets a girl who looks like hirose but the manga doesn't really do anything with it yeah i guess that's true i guess we shouldn't we shouldn't erase the the potential bisexuality of nakamoto there so nakamura could be bi that's it's true, true. He, he, he is he is a nice gay, queer boy he is a nice queer boy yeah and it's i kind of honestly i'd kind of forgotten that chapter it's existed, it's, it's so. a total nothing <laughs> like it's basically it. a fake out yeah well yeah it's like i mean it's kind of ambiguous because like she's is it hirose's sister or is it hirose in a wig can't remember it's such a nothing i've forgotten <laughs> anyway, again, just I am glad you pointed that out because um, I know that I know that can be an issue of of you know bisexual erasure is a problem. So it's good to it's good to note it and mention it. Um, but he's very here for Hirose. Extremely. So. Oh, it yeah. It's just it like it's nice. It is a nice manga if you want something nice. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a full spread of manga for you to think about from things to glare at hatefully from a distance and never read to complicated stories to judge for yourself whether you're up for it to yes please pick this up tomorrow and give seven seas money for it they're doing good um as always we love to hear from you guys and from from, uh, from folks in the comments about future themes that you would like to hear of or if you've read this series or that series and you have your own opinions on it or if some of our discussion inspired you to pick something up we love that kind of stuff come talk to me about all my darling daughters yes And I think that about wraps us up for this particular Manga Variety Hour. Thank you so much for joining us, Anafam listeners. If you liked this episode, you can find more of our stuff on SoundCloud. If you really liked this episode, you can toss us a dollar on Patreon. It really helps us pay the bills and helps us bring bring, uh, content to you, both on the website and in your earbuds. You can find articles from the team and our contributors at www.animefeminist.com. You can find us on social media, on Facebook at Anime Femme, on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. We appreciate you all so much, and until next time, read a good manga today. Mm-hmm.